Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Unlimited. Today, we are talking about, no, you're not crazy. The reason we're talking about this is because I have had multiple clients recently coming to me, uh, pretty much all of them this past week, saying things like, I can't make a right decision. If I say yes, I feel anxiety. If I say no, I feel anxiety. I feel frozen because of this anxiety, and I don't normally experience anxiety. Another one, I'm a peacekeeper. That's who I am. That's the way I am. I see things from all different sides, but right now I feel like I'm possessed by a rage monster, and I don't feel like myself. Another, I'm constantly fielding conflict all around me. I don't feel able to communicate effectively. It's like everything is fine but it's not. What is a rational amount of fear? So all of this overabundance of anxiety, of anger, all makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense on both a sociological context as well as a psychological context. And there's a whole bunch of dynamics going on. So we're going to get very nerdy in this show. I'm going to dig in not too far, I try not to bore everybody and like we're not doing a dissertation on any of this, but just to give you a groundwork so that you not only are validated by I'm not crazy, but like that there's a, an understanding. Sometimes having an understanding of what's going on can relieve some of the the stress of of the situation. We're also going to talk about stress and navigating and understanding stress. I talk a lot about this. I have episodes that talk about dealing with stress, but I, I wanted to speak about it in this particular situation and then give you some tools, some things to look at to try and engage the situation that you're dealing with and whatever dynamics, however that's showing up for you in your life. So I'm breaking all of this down. I have cited the sources that I got information from. So if you want to dig deeper and and really go in, then there are links in the show notes. So definitely check those out. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey there, I'm Valerie Friedlander, Certified Life Business Alignment Coach, and this is Unlimited. This podcast bridges the individual and the societal, scientific and spiritual, positive and negative, nerdy and no, there's just a lot of nerdy. (laughs) Come on board and let's unlock a life that's as badass as you are. We're going to start with the sociological components that are at play right now. One of my studies in college was Emile Durkheim's theories. The core one that I'm looking at right now is called anomie. And I've mentioned it before. Anomie is a period of drastic and rapid changes to the social, economic, or political structures of a society. It's a transition phase where the values and norms common during one period are no longer valid and new ones have not yet evolved to take their place. So what happens is that during this time, 
people don't know what to do. They're confused about how to deal with the world. The things that were once fixed and not questioned are now being questioned. And this is not to say that is a bad process. Like This can be really important to growth in a society, but when it happens quickly, it can feel uprooted. People like norms and we try and maintain a status quo. There's a drive to maintain a status quo, which we're not going to get into like all of the dynamics. There's a lot there, but then there are a lot of reasons why we're having change. And it's really important that we engage that. I'm giving you this because I want you to understand at least what the heck is going on. And it's not just you and it's not just in your head. So what happens is within this, there's a sense of lack of belonging and a disconnection from society because the roles that they've believed in that are tied to their identity. So a lot of subconscious programming, a lot of connecting dots in the subconscious realm, not even the conscious realm, but subconscious realm are no longer valued by society or pertinent to the changing society or the environment or, you know, like all the factors that influence us as humans. It fosters a feeling of lack of purpose and hopelessness. Durkheim and subsequent sociologists also tie this to deviance and crime. Actually, the first sociology class that I took was called Deviance, Discord, and Dismay. And it was really interesting. Anywho, the point is that periods of anomie, these drastic, rapid changes in society, are unstable. They're chaotic and often rife with conflict because the social force of the norms and values that otherwise provided a sense of stability to the society are weakened or missing. So what we're dealing with here is a a lot of that. A lot of that is happening. We're talking socially in terms of social justice issues that we are currently engaging and rightly so. And the pandemic that has disrupted everybody's life and thrown a lot of things into question and environmental issues and upheaval. I'm not going to dig into all of that because the purpose of this episode is so that you have a a normalization of what you're feeling. So basically when it comes to Anomi, and I'm going to read a little clip from a paper that I found that kind of is tying some of Durkheim's theories together. He has a whole book talking about suicide and anomie. So this is what it's pulling from. So a quote from this is, anomie is a social context in which, quote, one does not know anymore what is possible and what is not possible, what is fair and what is unfair. This anomiac suicide occurs in a situation in which Individuals are in permanent competition with each other, expect much of existence and demand much of it, and find themselves perpetually haunted by the suffering that arises from the disproportion between their aspirations and their satisfactions. It's a state of irritation and repulse, irritation linked to the multiple occasions of deception provided by modern existence, repulse resulting from the awareness of the disproportion between aspirations and satisfactions. Reading that was like, 
oh, yes, there's this discord that's happening in terms of what we believe is possible, what we feel like we can achieve. And it's not just as an individual, it's a societal sense that there are things that are really out of whack in terms of perceptions. I was like, okay, I know there's a sociological dynamic going on because I mean, it's not just individuals. How is this playing with the psychological term that we keep using of gaslighting? So gaslighting is a technique that undermines your entire perception of reality by denying facts, the environment around them, or their feelings, their being the person being gaslighted. So it's denying reality, denying the perception. When someone is gaslighting you, you often second guess yourself, your memories, your perceptions. It's a form of manipulation that occurs in abusive relationships. Those relationships could be personal relationships or often romantic relationships, but can also be in professional relationships or by people who try to control large groups of people. It usually happens when there is an unequal power dynamic and the gaslighter is important to the target of the gaslighting. So there is a caring, a consideration, and a a respect even of the person who is doing the gaslighting. Typically, it is women who are the people being gaslit because we are socialized to doubt ourselves. This ties into some things that I've talked about relating to imposter syndrome and how we need to stop using imposter syndrome because of course you feel like an imposter when everything around you is telling you that you don't belong in a particular space. So all of that plays in here too. So what is happening? And I was thinking about this in terms of, okay, this speaks generally to either an individual dynamic, like between two people or within a family, or to a a group dynamic, but it could be a smaller group dynamic usually. Like, you know, you think of like a cult leader gaslighting the people that they're leading. So this is a really pertinent, pertinent is not the word I want. It's like an available time for gaslighting because of the shift in norms. And there are people like we have this drive to want to have norms. So when you're recognizing that there's a shift happening and you're going, there's something going on here. And then you're told, no, there's nothing going on here. It creates a space almost. I don't know if I want to use the word vacuum, but I'm gonna almost like a vacuum to be filled of norms. So let me give you the norms. Let me point who the problem is. Let me direct the story. Now, there's a lot of arguing that one could make about like how this is built over history and time and some of the political dynamics. Again, my purpose here, <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying this over and over again because there's there's a lot to unpack within each of these things. So my purpose here is to help normalize what you, my lovely listener, is experiencing in this situation. So there's the social component going on, and then there is the political component, and and you could say, you know, some of the media stuff that is happening, and and who's leading the story, what's the purpose of leading the story, what's the direction, 
all of that sort of stuff. And then there's the individual dynamics. So what happens is that continuous invalidity of how the target feels about a situation, when your feelings are continually invalidated, that is actually just as effective as saying that your perceptions are wrong because your perceptions influence your emotions which then influence your actions and they're all tied together. So if you are continuously told that you are feeling something that's not appropriate to be feeling or not accurate or whatever, then it's like saying what you see is not what you see. Like what's triggering that emotion must be wrong. Okay. A gaslighter is not someone who's like, you're not born a gaslighter. That's not something that is innate. It is learned. It is social learning. So this is how we're tying back to that, you know, the dynamics within the society. It's a cognitive strategy for self-regulation and co-regulation. So it's about regulating the norms. It's about control, controlling the story, controlling a situation that maybe doesn't feel in your control or a relationship that doesn't feel in your control. So it's a way for someone to deflect responsibility and tear down someone else while still keeping them connected, keeping them with you. So like, you're wrong, I'm right, but but I don't want you to go away. So it's basically used to gain control, retain control, deflect responsibility. So it's not about me. And ease anxiety through feeling like you're in charge again. So it's when you feel out of control, trying to control people around you. And a lot of times it's not intentional. It's not something that someone is consciously trying to manipulate you, which can actually add to some of the the dynamic of this is because when somebody really believes what they're saying, that can fuel that sense that, well, maybe it's me. Like they clearly really believe it. So it's a learned behavior of retaining control of regulating through regulating the people around you, most likely because you haven't learned self-regulation. So I'm going to regulate other people. Okay. So we're not taught to handle emotions in this society. We are not good at processing emotions, about understanding emotions, processing emotions, and engaging emotions in a healthy way. That is not something that is part of much of our society. It's starting to be, it's growing. There's much more emphasis on mental health and and doing that kind of work. I mean, coaching, there's a reason why that's grown. Then again, you know, if you go back and listen to my last episode, there's plenty of gaslighting that happens in online coaching too. So, ah, but that's part of it is that we've been trained by our social conditioning to retain control by controlling outside of ourselves and controlling other people. And so, especially if you see something that works and it's tied to you feeling like, retaining some control, especially in an environment that feels out of control in a time of change in society and in our norms and shifts in values, it makes sense then 
that there would be this growth in and and well, and of course, leadership being <laughs> gaslighting, then we learn to gaslight each other. So there's that. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the pieces. I want to you know break down gaslighting for you because I think that again, when you can see something, then you can engage it. But if you can't see it, you can't do anything with it. So I'm going to break down the components of gaslighting. And I found this breakdown from Very Well Mind. Again, all the links to these resources are in the show notes. So if you want to go further, please, I encourage you to read them and explore further. So first, the way that people use gaslighting is lying to you never backing down, even when you provide proof of their lie, or here's the thing, the lie that they've believed in. Because again, when norms are shifting, our identity is shifting. That can be scary to retain a sense of identity within the construct because we don't exist without a society. We reflect each other. We understand ourselves through understanding each other. There's a dynamic in our relationships. So when you've believed something, again, it talks about that, you know, the cognitive dissonance that happens when this is what I believe my worldview is threatened and how flexible you can be, how uh, empowered and, and resilient in your ability to understand yourself and adjust and grow. We have a lot of fixed mindset in this society, like a fixed mindset. An example is I made a mistake, therefore I am a mistake. So I can't make a mistake because I can't be a mistake. You know, if I did something wrong, then I'm a bad person. I am unwilling to accept the idea that I'm a bad person. So I reject the idea that I've done something wrong. I can't take it in. It's like our brain has these self-protection mechanisms to block that you've done something wrong. So having a resiliency within that, having that growth mindset to be able to take in the information and grow from it. Oh, I did something wrong. I can do better. That's that growth mindset. And that takes a greater sense of self, like a less fragile sense of self than just the roles that we've always experienced. So they will never back down, even when you provide proof of their lie. And they can be very convincing, especially when they believe it. Even when you know better, you start to second guess yourself. Two, discrediting you. They pretend to be worried about what's going on with you while subtly telling others or exuding the sense that, oh, maybe you're unstable. Like something must be wrong with you. Oh, I'm so worried about you. Like you seem emotionally unstable. And you're like, oh, am I, am I overreacting? Is it me? Three, distracting you, changing the subject causing you to question the need to press whatever you're talking about because they clearly don't see a need to listen to it. So maybe it's not that important. Again, a lot of this stuff is particularly strong when there's a strong tie within the relationship of the people in this dynamic. However, it is also something that we are seeing when it's all around you. It's this effect that, because again, the power dynamic of there can be a power dynamic in a mass of people. Like if lots of people believe it's almost like a lemming effect, I would call it. So like seeing all these pictures on Facebook, so is it me then? Right. So it, it creates this sense of confusion 
minimizing your thoughts and feelings. So trivializing your emotions. A lot of this ties into emotional negation, which is actually one of the reasons why toxic positivity is so problematic is because of the emotional negation. Toxic positivity can actually be gaslighting because it's like, well, just don't have those feelings. Yikes. Um, I have a whole episode on toxic positivity if you want to take a listen. So essentially, you're overreacting. Hearing something enough times, and there's studies around this, that when you hear something enough times, you start to internalize the message. You start to think that the message is coming from you. And so it triggers that self-doubt. The next one is shifting blame. So every time something's going on, it's not their fault. So this goes back to that not taking responsibility. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. It was you. Or it was these other people or other situation. It's not my responsibility. Again, because it goes back to that idea of if I did something wrong, then I am wrong. Then I am a bad person and I cannot process that. Instead of I did something wrong, I can do better. So shifting that blame cannot accept responsibility. So how you feel about someone's behavior becomes about you being the cause of that behavior. You know, they wouldn't treat you the way they're treating you if you just behaved differently. So somehow it's turned around to be about you. Denying wrongdoing. So again, responsibility, avoiding responsibility in the choices that were made, using compassionate words as weapons. So like, I would never hurt you on purpose. I didn't intend to do that, but then the behavior doesn't change. And so many of these are probably ones that you could look at in terms of racism and things that white people say. Like, well, I didn't intend that. Well, but yes, you did it. So you need to recognize what you did do, apologize, and do better instead of trying to make it okay that you did the thing. So again, so many of these components are embedded in our society and in the power dynamics within our society. I have an episode called Girl Learn to Apologize. So check that out if you want more on that aspect. This idea that they're only saying something to kind of get off the hook because they don't want to take responsibility. So loving words with continually harmful actions. Problematic. And then, of course, rewriting history. So telling stories in their favor so that you begin to second guess your memory. It is something that many people, most people, I would even say, have experienced at some level to various degrees, but it is something that is really a big part of the way we do things in this society because it works. So we want it to stop working. I mean, I I would like it to stop working, but this is one of the things that's going on. So when people say gaslighting, even though it's individually the thing, there's a social component that's happening, especially emphasized by this period of anomie where there's this normlessness. So people are really trying to hold on to pieces of identity that are shifting because the norms and values of society are shifting. So gaslighting becomes even more of a thing because there's a sense of being out of control. So it's a way of exerting control. And the more fear there is, and and it's being laid upon by the people in power, go back to that power structure dynamic. So some things to notice, signs you are a victim of gaslighting. And this is according to Robin Stern, who's the author of the book, 
the gaslight effect, how to spot and survive the hidden manipulation others use to control your life. And this actually ties very much into what I have heard from clients and what they're experiencing. And I didn't include all of the ones that she listed because my purpose in this isn't necessarily about helping you identify individuals in your life that are part of this gaslighting dynamic, though, if that helps for you to notice that, that's awesome. But it's mostly because there's a societal component to the gaslighting that's happening. And it's probably happening in little pieces all over. And it's triggering this experience of being gaslit through social media, through media, through all kinds of things because of the societal shifting that's happening. And because we are in many ways doing this to each other, because that's what we've been socialized to do. So I'm just going to run through them. No longer feeling like the person you used to be, being more anxious and less confident than you used to be, often wondering if you're being too sensitive Again, back to the fear, like what's a reasonable amount of fear? Am I overreacting? Feeling like everything you do is wrong. I can't make a right choice. I'm anxious when I do this. I'm anxious when I do that. If I say yes, I'm anxious. If I say no, I'm anxious. Everything feels wrong. Often questioning whether you are being unreasonable, back to being too sensitive. Avoiding giving information to family, friends to avoid confrontation. When you feel like you're surrounded by people who are not on the same page as you, and there's so many degrees of page, like when we're talking about the pandemic, like people's individual risk assessments, because there is no overarching agreement as to dealing with it, there's a lot of sense of conflict. As one of the clients is saying, I feel like I'm surrounded and constantly navigating conflict, feeling isolated. (laughs) I mean, that's been happening. Regardless of somebody imposing that, there's a sense of isolation because of being stuck inside and not interacting with people as much. And there's a greater degree for people who are being more cautious for health reasons. I mean, it's all health reasons, but like the degrees of impact that the virus could have on them. So isolation is a thing. Finding it increasingly hard to make decisions. (laughs) I addressed that one up there too of like, wondering like everything is wrong. So I don't know what to decide. And not to mention there's the mental load I've shared in several episodes about how much more energy your frontal cortex uses than the rest of your brain. So that can be exhausting. I I read recently and I don't remember where it was. It might've been in one of the weird, but true books. I think that my kids were wanting to read at bedtime, but that your brain, while it's a very small percentage of your body weight uses like 20% of your energy. And most of that energy is the frontal cortex, which is the decision maker. So the mental load of making decisions, and there's like so many decisions and the weight of some of those decisions, like, is this a life or death decision? Am I putting myself at risk? Am I putting my kids at risk? Like, oof, it's a lot. So again, I'm sharing all of this Because I want you to understand that what you are experiencing right now is normal for what's going on. You are not crazy. And then finally, feeling hopeless and taking little or no pleasure in activities you used to enjoy. 
And some of that is not being able to do the activities you enjoy, right? So there's that. But again, all of that also ties in while we're talking about being gaslit and as an individual, it also ties into the societal context and the dynamics of anomie. Okay. So what Robin Stern said is the antidote to gaslighting is greater emotional awareness and self-regulation, both the knowledge and then the practice of that regulation. So, you know, we, we desire these norms because they're a foundation for society and for our identity. And they also help us tie to having a place and a purpose. Having meaning in life is really important. And so when we are outside of a sense of having purpose, outside of a sense of having meaning, especially meaning in the experience of stress, that brings up all of this stuff and it exacerbates the stress. So going to emotional awareness, it's really important to know that the emotions that you're experiencing are normal. Whatever is going on for you, whatever the specific dynamics of what you're experiencing makes sense for you as an individual and what you've been used to, to what you are experiencing now, all of the pieces of your life are feeding into the way you're experiencing this particular dynamic that we have as a society right now. So give yourself permission to feel your feelings. That's not the same as acting on your feelings, but feeling your feelings is important. Then the next piece of this is connecting with others. And this is where we're going to, before I continue with things to do, how do you deal with this? Connecting to others is part of our stress resiliency. So all of these things are creating a greater sense of stress, a sense of disconnectedness, a lack of meaning. All of those things exacerbate stress. When our body is in stress, we're releasing adrenaline, cortisol. We have a variety of physical effects that are happening that then tell us stuff about what's going on. So we, we tend to have like feedback loops. I'm having a physical experience. Our body talks to our brain. Our brain goes, oh, this is what's going on. And that triggers the physical experience some more. Oh, I'm having an emotional reaction. Then we interpret, we tell stories about the emotional reaction, like I'm being unreasonable and that in turn triggers more stress and more of the emotional reaction. And so we get these feedback loops going on. So information and understanding the stress component. Kelly McGonigal has some great stuff around stress and I've got links to her stuff. One of the things that she says is the three most protective beliefs about stress are one, to view your body's stress response as helpful, not debilitating. So for example, recognizing that stress is your body releasing energy for you to use. It's releasing energy to help protect you, to help you do the things that you need to do to to take care of yourself and the things that you care about. So recognizing, you know, it can motivate action. So rather than turning it around and going, this is terrible, I'm overstressed, being able to recognize that the reason it's happening is because it's your body's way of helping you protect yourself. Knowing that, that adrenaline, that cortisol, 
your body also releases oxytocin during this time. That's another thing she talks about, which is the cuddle hormone, which tells us to connect. So that's going to be another component that comes into navigating this for yourself. Like, how do you handle this? And also one of the reasons why it's been so problematic to be having this experience where we feel disconnected. Anomie, the state of normlessness creates this disconnection. Being gaslit creates this sense that you're going crazy and like that you're not connecting, that something is off with you. So knowing that it's not you, being able to connect with other people that can listen and hear your feelings and what's going on so that you have a safe space to process what's happening for you. The uh, second protective belief about stress is viewing yourself as able to handle what's going on and even learn and grow from the stress in your life. It's essentially assigning meaning and purpose to the stress. So knowing that it's coming up for a reason and then being able to create a purpose for that, even if it's a small purpose, like even if it's like, well, I can't change everything, but I can use this energy for this thing. We'll get to that a little bit more of that in a minute. And then third, to view stress as something that everyone deals with. And it's not something that proves how uniquely screwed up your life is. Again, cutting through that gaslighting and that sense that it's just you. It's not just you. And that's the underlying purpose of this episode is so that you know, it is not just you. So choosing to see the upside of stress. And I really wanted to highlight this. Kelly McGonigal talks about this. She she writes this out because it's really important to recognize the difference between seeing the upside of stress and toxic positivity <laughs> and negating the feelings and negating what's causing stress. We're not avoiding or negating what's causing the stress. It is acknowledging that it is there for a purpose. And it's not even denying that stress can be harmful because when you have an overabundance of stress over a sustained period of time, that can cause harm. So being able to release some of it and not build on it. So like when we just tell ourselves the stress is bad, we can't handle it. We're basically layering on stress. So rather than layer on the stress of stress to be able to take the stress that exists and engage it. So it's not denying it. It's just not adding on to it. That makes sense. It's balancing your mindset so that you feel less overwhelmed and hopeless about the stress that you have in your life. Okay. So the ability to learn from stress is built into the basic biology of the stress response. For several hours after you have a strong stress response, the brain is rewiring itself to remember and learn from the experience. So it leaves an imprint on your brain that prepares you to handle similar stress the next time you encounter it. Now, there's a twofold component here because this is actually one of the things that I deal with a lot with clients is a trained stress response, trained triggers because of something that happened in the past that then triggers a stress response that may not actually reflect the current reality. So that comes up a lot, but it can also be beneficial in terms of recognizing, you know, the, the constant need to engage your frontal cortex for decision-making part of what we're wired to do is be able to decide faster and have that go into the subconscious part of your brain so that you're not constantly having increased amount of stress, you're, you're building that ability to handle the things 
that come up. So decisions, if you've encountered a decision before, you can make it again without as much energy, without as much mental energy. That component I thought was interesting, but it's kind of double-sided as it were. So, But being able to recognize the duality of life can also help with navigating stress. So just throwing it out there that, you know, being able to see that there are multiple sides to something, there are multiple sides to experiences that you have that that can help with all of that. So, okay. So going back to what do you do with all of this? Because it's a lot. So hopefully you feel a little normalized, a little like, okay, there's there's real stuff going on. It's not just in your head. It may be playing on stuff in your head, but it's not just in your head and it's not just you. So going back to giving yourself permission to feel your feelings, whatever they are, whatever they look like, whatever that, that experience is, they make sense for you to have the feelings that you have. Connecting with others, again, that stress resilience. And it's hard because I think that there is a component of touch that goes into that, of of that sense of connection and also that sense of being loved. Being loved is very much expressed from a young age through touch. So I think there is that. So even just acknowledging that if that's not there for you right now because of the pandemic, that that's also impacting you. Giving yourself a space to be heard. So finding someone to hold that space for you to be heard and in, in a judgment-free way. It's similar to grief because we are experiencing a lot of grief. So in that grief sense, what we want is someone to listen, to ask questions and allow us to talk and share and to be able to share our feelings. So recognizing that a large component of an identity shift involves grief and relationship shifts. Because when your identity shifts, your relationship shifts, there are multiple layers to the shifting that's happening. And that all involves grief. So engaging people's experience and what they're sharing as that may also help. And engaging your own experience as that may also help. Taking it out of the right wrong. So feelings aren't about right or wrong. Feelings just are. They exist. So taking it out of whether your feeling is right or your feeling is wrong. Also, though, being able to separate feelings and an external fact. And that's another thing that's getting really conflated right now. I would say in part because of the shifts in what people know and also because of our lack of ability to hold space for each other and really listen, we become entrenched and in this need to be right. We've taken on, you know, well, our, our feelings are right because they're not being acknowledged and supported and walked through. So just being able to be heard is really important, not necessarily to say, oh, you're right. <laughs> it's taken out of that right, wrong space. Self-care is critical. I have a whole episode where I talk about self-love, which relates to self-care. You know, self-care is one of the ways that we express love for ourselves, compassion for yourself. This is really being triggered a lot, especially for moms who are high achievers, but in general for people, because if you are a high achiever, if you really put a value on excellence, 
right now, a lot of those people are feeling like, you know, well, I, all I can do is, is my best. But if your best feels like failure, it's very hard not to have that shift into then I am a failure. So recognizing that that may be a chain of thought that your brain is following, taking the space to define enough in the various spaces of your life. What does enough look like? Because there is a good chance that you are subconsciously beating yourself up about not doing enough and then not being enough because enough may look different. Like your best looks different on different days. So actually like really engaging that can be a core component of self-care. Identifying your values. So just like defining enough, spending a little time really identifying your values. How do you want to show up? The impact that you want to have in the world and what you need, back to self-care, what you need for yourself to be able to show up that way. So really knowing what's important to you in your life outside of trying to control other people, not what you want other people to do, but what's important for you to be that person that you want to be. What do you need? Like if creativity is a top value, maybe your way of being creative, like going out and dancing is not available to you right now. How else could you engage that value of creativity? That sort of thing of finding ways to support yourself that honors your values. And also knowing what your values are then helps you clarify your boundaries. Boundaries are about how you express yourself to the world, what's okay with you, it's acceptable to you. There's a lot more cognition going into that processing right now. If you have clear boundaries that you've identified that are based in what your values are and what you're willing to accept, and I'm going to get to like the idea of risk assessment, when you have clarified that, it's almost like having routine. So that you have something to hold on to. And rather than feeling like uh, going back to that gaslighting, constantly second guessing yourself, you can go, this is what's important. This is the person that I want to be. This is the impact that I want to have. This is how I want to show up. That's what I have control over. And I get to choose that. This is what is important to me. So again, really owning your own power. And knowing what you have control over and what you don't have control over. And sometimes it can help to make a list. Here's what I have control over. Here's what I don't have control over. And then going back to, okay, what am I emphasizing? Where are my boundaries when it comes to this? A core component of empowerment is recognizing choice. Just because you outline choices does not mean that you will make any of those choices. But when you can see that you have choices that can create more freedom for you, especially if you have first done the values work so that it helps you clarify what those choices, like how to discern those choices. Because again, the decision fatigue is a lot. So you might be like, I just, I don't want choices. I just want somebody to choose for me. I just want somebody to tell me this is the right thing to do because I'm exhausted. And that is a very real thing for a lot of people right now too. 
or fear of being controlled by other people making choices or feeling controlled by other people making choices. I mean, there's a, again, I'm like, Ooh, let's pause here. So that's why I have that in the order that I have it. I actually have an intention behind the order that I'm giving some of these ways of processing and engaging the information because you want to build from a foundation. So if you just start up here in your head, there's no grounding there. And actually that that reminds me, one of the things I didn't write down, but that I've heard about is when you're in the emotional space and you've got a lot of that swirling going on, the decision making and like the anxiety, whatever you can do to bring that down from your head. It was described as like the sense of being kind of top heavy, like you're going to fall over. Like if everything's up in your head and swirling around in your head, that's going to knock you over and you're going to fall down and not be able to do anything. So to pull that down lower into your body. Some people might find breathing to be helpful to pull it down. I've had clients who breathing isn't like breath work is not for everyone. That can be really triggering for some people. So going outside and putting your feet in the ground, just sticking them on the ground and feeling the grass. If you can't go outside, even just spending a little time getting into your body. So moving your body, being present with your body, Maybe you're not there. You don't really want to be in your body because you're still working on being in your body and being comfortable in your own skin and all of that, which is also a thing for a lot of people. Wiggle your feet, (laughs) get present to your feet. There are a lot of strategies to kind of connect. I did an episode about meditation a while back and some ways that you can meditate that aren't necessarily just like the norm idea of meditation. So If you want some support to quiet the thoughts and pull the emotions further into your body, because they're real. I just, I can't emphasize that enough. It's like they exist. And so you're not necessarily going to make them go away. The anxiety is, is a real thing right now. There is, I mean, there's a pandemic. We're in a pandemic. You can't not have anxiety. It's just, (laughs) unless you're just ignoring things and, and that probably is indicative of it too. So it's a real thing. This is not to make it go away, but to be able to still engage and feel a sense of connection first, self-connection, but then an ability to connect with other people and not fall into the gaslighting dynamic that we have so much of right now. So this is a way to kind of root and get present. So go check out that episode if you want some tools around meditating and getting present in the now rather than kind of swirling in the unknowns that we have right now. Finally, that risk assessment, engaging the risks. When we try and avoid things that can actually increase stress. So I know it sounds like, oh, I don't want to look at that because it's going to stress me out. But to be able to really look at it and make a decision, choices are empowering. And then having the support to discern. So this isn't about just doing it all on your own. This is about connecting with other people and recognizing that we do need each other. So, you know, bring the people to your table that will help you process and show up the way that you want to show up. And it can even look like, okay, look at that worst case scenario. Take a minute and actually look at it. 
what is your brain already processing? Because if you can think of it, it's already happening in the background. It's already what's triggering those emotions. So take a look at it. Maybe even write it out. See it. See what you're already thinking. Because only by acknowledging it can you do something with it. Take a look at that. And then take a look at the best case scenario. A lot of times our brain is focused on the danger, the potential danger that is the worst case scenario and that's happening in the background, but we often don't look at the best case scenario. So take a look at the best case scenario. What is the best case scenario? And then what's most likely? Maybe you don't know. There's too many unknowns there. But when you can actually see that can help you observe choices and take it out of the fear-based. And when I say fear-based, it's more like I'm not actually looking at, I'm just, I'm all in like reactive mode to be able to go, okay, here are my values. Here's the situations that I'm perceiving that could happen, like a big picture. And you may find that there are opportunities that you wouldn't have considered that you might actually be inspired by or interested in, in the worst case scenario of like, what would you do? If this were true, if this was the way it was, what would I do? And that may help inform some ideas that you have about how you want to move forward and what you want to show up with. But again, giving yourself permission to have the feelings that you have, to walk through what comes up for you, having people that you can talk to about what's coming up for you that will hold space for you to process and look at those things and doing the self-care to be able to engage the way you want to engage, setting those boundaries based on the values that you have. This has been a kind of long episode, but that's okay because I think this is really important to know what's going on on multiple levels and know that there are tools out there for you to process them and take action that aligns with the person that you want to be as life is for you right now. If you want support with that, that's what I'm here for. I do have a free exploration call. There is no pressure on this call. If it's really just you want to be able to see those options and you're having trouble seeing that you have possibilities in front of you, then let's chat. And if there's healing work, if there's an overwhelm of anxiety, if you're experiencing depression, reach out to a therapist. Bottom line is support is so critical right now. You are not alone and what you are experiencing, you are not crazy. There's real stuff happening and it's going to impact you based on all the factors in your life. So reach out to someone. If you want to hop on a free exploration call, let's do that. I have a variety of ways that I can offer support after that, if any of those are a fit for you. But again, if you just want that, let's get some sort of movement, then hop on a call. You are worth getting support. So wherever you find that, wherever fits for you to reach out to get that support that you are looking for, please do it. Please, please do it. You are worth doing that for. And there's a lot going on. That's all I have for today. We've got a lot of really exciting other episodes coming up and I can't wait to share them with you. So for now, I will talk to you all next time. Thanks for listening. I so appreciate you being here. If you got something out of today's episode, please share it. Leave me a review, take a screenshot and post it on social with a shout out to me. 
send it to a friend, or, you know, all of the above. Want to hang out more? Join me on Instagram. Or better yet, get on my mailing list to make sure you don't miss out on anything. And remember, your possibilities are as unlimited as you are. Allow yourself to shine, my friend. The world needs your light. See you next time.